Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thank you, Jason. It's a... it's good to have you here today, man. It's, it's been a while, and it's always a blessing. Jason was uh, leading worship at this church for the first time I, I came, and uh, uh, was always very blessed, so happy to have him here today. Uh, Sam is not here today, so you're stuck with me, and I apologize for that. <laughs> but we're going to start off with a couple of announcements. Um, and the typical announcements that we have today are that every Sunday morning we do this. So if you're tuning in for the first time um, or the, the 50th time, uh, we do this every Sunday morning at 10. And then again, this gets posted on YouTube so you can watch it again another time. Uh, but also we do something on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, take two. Uh, so I know that uh, typically, we have a lot more people tuning in on Sunday mornings. Take two is typically Sam and a guest right here, and they kind of dissect and dive deeper into Sunday's message. So if that's something that's interesting to you, you can write in questions, uh, ask, kind of get involved in the dialogue. It's pretty cool, and I would recommend anybody who's interested in uh, maybe diving deeper in your faith to tune in on Wednesday nights as well. So, before we, we dig into today's scripture and today's word, um, I just want to acknowledge, because I know that there's a lot going on in the world, there's a lot going on in our country, there's a lot going on in our state, and there's a lot going on in the life of this church, and there are many who are sick, there are many who have lost loved ones, there are many who have lost jobs and careers and are struggling to pay bills, there are many who are lonely, who are facing depression and who are feeling alone, and, and part of this discussion is that on Wednesday evening, on the 27th, uh, Gil's sister-in-law, Helen, uh, that we've been praying for for the last several weeks uh, passed away. And uh, I have a note here. This is the Escalera family. I wants to thank you for your prayers. Uh, they were greatly appreciated. But the, uh, the unfortunate heavy news this morning is that Helen um, went home. It's unfortunate for us, and it's beautiful for her. So however you can think of that, um, uh, again, just in the life of our church and the people that we know and the things that are going on, 
There's so much. There's so much. So it hasn't been an easy time for a lot of us, and there are no magic words. But this is the stuff of family, and I just want to make that clear too. This is the stuff that families go through together. And so if you are feeling isolated and alone, um, we don't want you to feel that way. We want to stand with you, whatever you're going through. We want to pray for you. We want to be help to you. But we can't help what we don't know. So if you are in need and so inclined, please reach out. Your prayer requests can be sent through email to prayer at thegenesisstory.com. Um, if you just need to talk to somebody, you can reach out at info at thegenesisstory.com. Um, if you are on Facebook, you can find Sam or Gil or myself. I know we have all received texts, and we, uh, we do pray for you as we know the needs. But um, again, this is family stuff. We love you, and we want to be here in any way that we can. I don't want to, uh, again, minimize what you're going through. I don't want to minimize the gospel and, and as it does its work through all of this. But I can say for myself that it's been a rough year for my family, too. And it has been through often the, the, the silent support, uh, the silent generosity of the people of Genesis that have rekindled again and again the hope in my own heart as I feel it start to dwindle or if I start to get discouraged. Um, we're a family, and I want you to know that, and I want you to feel that. So we want to show up for you, wherever you are, whatever you're going through. You are not alone. You are loved. And please reach out. There's always uh, Facebook if you're on Facebook. And this phone number, church phone number, 1-800-731-4730. Last announcement is that last week, the 2020 tither seats were mailed out. So uh, you should have received it by now. And if you haven't, then please, again, let us know either at info at thegenesisstory.com or this phone number again, 1-800-731-4730. Today, um, like typically, I think, when I've had the opportunity to speak, I'm not breaking any new ground. Uh, I just want to give you something to think about, something, something to hold on to, something to maybe stir your spirit, even if just by way of reminder. So simple message today. And... Um, in honor of Sam, I'm going to try to do this the Sam way. So <laughs> uh, I hope to offer some simple reminders by talking about these things. The five-year-old, the five-year-old evangelist, a pastor, a worship leader, and your political rival, <laughs> that new car smell, Forky from Toy Story 4, and the real best you now. <laughs> so we'll dig in. When my kids, I have three kids, but when my two boys were younger, uh, say seven and five, they were really into this Disney Channel show that was called Kicking It. 
I don't know if you've ever seen Kicking It, but it's about these young teenage uh, kickboxers. They're in a class together. They're all buddies. And uh, when they're not saving the world with their extraordinary karate skills, they're hanging out at Falafel Phil's eating falafels. So my boys would watch the show all the time on the Disney Channel. And one day, some, I don't remember which one, but somebody said, what is, what's the, what is a falafel? And I said, well, what do you think it is? What's it look like? And they said, it looks like a chocolate ball. So I said, oh, it's not really a chocolate ball. And the other kid said, well, it looks like maybe a cake, cake pop, a big cake pop. And I was like, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take you guys to Sokka's over in Claremont, and we're going to have falafels, and you tell me then what you think it tastes like. So we went to Sokka's. We're sitting down. Our food is served, and next to Levi, so Judah, me, Levi, next to Levi, um, a, a man comes in who's very disheveled. He's speaking to himself. He's a little dirty. He sits down, and he's mostly mumbling things that you can't really understand, but every once in a while, he'd say something, and it would stand out. And so as he was doing this, he, he said the word Jerusalem. And I remembered Levi, five years old. He's like ready to dig into this falafel thing that he's been wondering about for months. And he, and he hears the word the same time I did. And he doesn't even really look up, but he kind of looks out of the side of his eyes to the man next to him, sitting next to him, and he says, you know about Jesus? <laughs> And for the next 30 minutes, we had this conversation about Jesus with a homeless man at Saka's in Claremont. And it was pretty spectacular. And I remember thinking, I never would have done that. I would have just let the man eat his food and mumble his words. And I never would have said, do you know about Jesus? But my five-year-old did. And so this has been a memory for me that I was thinking about this week. It was stirred me up a little bit. It's kind of a life lesson for me for many reasons. My five-year-old was not only willing, maybe even eager to step into this conversation with a stranger. He wasn't put off by the fact that the man was dirty and um, other. It was a pretty heavy moment for me. And it was also the moment that my boys realized that falafels were not dessert. (laughs) So things, life lessons you'll never forget. (laughs) One of the most beloved, the most known, the most quoted passages of Scripture that I can think of is the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, it's pretty much as mainstream as it gets because uh, at school you might win a Good Samaritan award, right? Uh, you, you might even hear the term Good Samaritan on all kinds of news channels, even the most liberal <laughs> news channels will say, thanks to the Good Samaritan that stopped to help, blah, 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 and, the, and this, a news story. So we hear these words Good Samaritan used all the time. In fact, every state has a Good Samaritan Act or a Good Samaritan Law that protects somebody from, uh, from being sued or liable when they stop to help somebody. This is something that's very commonplace. We, uh, we come to think of it in our vernacular, it just means like a do-gooder, somebody who has done something good. 
And so therefore, we are all, I think, at some point, when we hear the words Good Samaritan, we think, oh, a good guy, a good person, a good lady. And you know this, I think, right? But let's read it from Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. When Jesus told parables, parables in general, they're often illustrations, of course, but they're more than that. They have uh, what we would think of as a punchline in them. So maybe not a funny punchline, maybe not the kind of punchline you're thinking about, maybe not the kind of, you know, stirs up a belly laugh like Santa Claus when he telling me we're good last year. Not that kind of thing, but it, responds, it, it requires an immediate response like that, like a punchline. So when you read a parable that has become so common like the Good Samaritan, I think we might lose sight of the punchline. At least I do. Who is my neighbor the one who shows mercy, go and do likewise. That's kind of how I summarize this in my head. Do this and you will live. But let's bring this up to date really quick and then let's see if we can detect the punchline in the story. The story starts with a poor sod who gets robbed and beat up and left for dead. A pastor comes driving by in his Bentley or his Honda Civic, depending on what part of town you're in. He's busy, and he has to get to a board meeting, and people are waiting for him, and he's already late, so he passes by. 
A worship leader drives by but can't stop. It's rehearsal time, and he has to get the songs in order and printed and ready for the other musicians who are also already waiting for him, so he has to get there on time. Hurry, hurry, go, go. And finally, a Black Lives Matter supporter sees the hurt man and stops and helps. Or if you're on the other side of the political spectrum, it's a man in a MAGA hat. Whichever those makes you the most angry, we'll go with that. Because that's the punchline. The punchline is somebody that you really don't like stops to help you. Jews looked down on Samaritans like they were not even, like they were subhuman. They would call them half-breeds, dogs. The two did not mix. But in Jesus' story, the Samaritan, the outsider, the least likely to be loved, is the hero. He's the neighbor. He's the one, says Jesus, that you're to love as yourself. Go and do likewise, Jesus says. Go and learn to love the other. Go and learn to be a neighbor to the other, to everyone, to anyone. We'll come back to this. We are living in some crazy times, and I know we've probably all said that a hundred times in this last year. But I'm sure every generation has thought this. And to be honest, every generation is probably right. (laughs) They're not wrong. In our time, in the the Western world, companies spend huge amounts of money to get the message out to all the consumers that it's all about you. We know it's really all about their profits and their, and their, uh, uh, their stocks. But this is the messaging that they hire people to tell you, right? It's all about you. I'll say a few. You might recognize them. Have it your way. You deserve a break today because you're worth it. Saving you money so you can buy more toys. You've got to look out. You've got to look out for numero uno or you're number one. Those are ad slogans that we hear all the time or something, some variation of that. We hear this all the time. The Western world puts the messaging forward that everything in life is all about you. You better get yours. Our world, especially, I think, in the U.S., this is my context, all I have to know, is increasingly individualistic. My rights have become more important than the greater good, and my wealth has become the real American idol. Don't get me wrong. I know as Americans we have rights, and I know that wealth in and of itself is, is not something evil. But when I read the scriptures, I see that Jesus laid down his rights. He laid down his rights for the sake of love, and the scriptures tell us that the love of money is the root of all evil. I think it's a, it's a slippery slope, and I'm a horrible skier. So I find myself in this juxtaposition with this whole idea. In this kind of world where we're told that it's all about us, it's all about 
fixing our, our future for ourselves. It's all about stockpiling what we have. It's all about, it's all about us. And there's nothing else to it. In this kind of world, people aren't thinking about loving their neighbor, let alone being a neighbor. It's the kind of world where you drive into your garage and enter your house through your garage door so you never even have to see your neighbor. This kind of world is at odds with what Jesus taught. In this type of world, we pass by the guy on the side of the road 10 out of 10 times because we're busy. And at the same time, in the spiritual side of our country, the church has become obsessed with doing whatever we have to do to get our ticket to heaven. The great escape from this world into a better place where we imagine... Sure, it's all about God, but, I mean, it's better for us, too, because the alternative is way worse. With this type of theology, we see the beaten man in the ditch, and we may be sympathetic, and we may even pray for him as we pass by, because we're tempted to think that our prayer somehow sanctifies this life and gets him to heaven or her to heaven too. And ultimately, if that's what the gospel is, just your one-way ticket to heaven, then not a lot else matters. Even if that's not really meeting anybody's needs now. So from one stream of life, we learn that it's all about us. And the other basically says, it's really not all about us, it's all about God, but we benefit from that too. So it's kind of about us a little bit. Both of these, both of these miss the mark. Both of these miss the whole entire point of resurrection life. Both of these, my friends, fail, fall short, because sympathy cannot change the world, but compassion can. Compassion does. Have you ever bought a new car or rented a car that's new, and you get in it, and that new car smell hits you, and you're like, what is that? What's that smell? That's the new car smell. <laughs> I bought a new car smell air freshener one time. It was a little dangling tree thing. And I got it and I put it in my car, my 2011 Mazda. And I was like, yeah, it doesn't smell like a new car. I can't really place it. Kitcheny, maybe? <laughs> Kitcheny smelling? But the real fail is when my kids got in the car and I said, you guys smell that? And... Uh, my, my boy said, yeah, what is that? What is that smell? I said, what does it smell like to you? And Levi said, it smells like feet. <laughs> Epic fail. That's not what I was going for. What is that new car smell, and how do I get it back? 
I think that what we've seen over the course of the last year is this kind of idea that we can't wait to get back to normal. We can't wait to get back to the, you know, like the glory days of 2019 as if they were something spectacular. We kind of want to get, we want to bypass this whole pandemic idea, this whole topsy-turvy political scene that we're in. We want to get past all this and just kind of be bored again. And I think if, we, if that's what we desire, then I think we're, we're missing an opportunity Because maybe we're, we were just stuck before. But it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to be when we're under lockdown. It's hard to do when everything is shut down. And how do we show up when everybody is afraid to be around each other? And rightfully so. I get it. We're living through it. It's hard. Anxiety is high. Depression is up. We have to be safe. We have to be smart. We have to use wisdom. But how long, O oh Lord? And we might think, when can we get that new car smell back? But the truth is, we don't. I cannot make my 2011 Mazda smell new again. The truth is, we don't get it back we stop longing for those old glory days and we start looking forward to how we can step into whatever's next. Whatever the future is going to look like. And I want to read this passage to you. This is from Isaiah 35. And it's this idea where Isaiah is looking forward into the future. He's giving this vision that he's had. This is future. But he says... Verses 3 and 4 from Isaiah 35. Energize the limp hands. Strengthen the rubbery knees. Tell fearful souls, courage, take heart. God is here. Right here. On his way to put things right and redress all wrongs. He is on his way and he'll save you. I hope that you hear that this morning. It means a lot of different things. I mean, I think this whole first part about, like, energize the limp hands. He's saying, man, your hands have gotten soft. The calluses are gone because you've not been doing the work. And, and strengthen your knees. You've been, sitting on, you've been sitting down too long. Tell those who are afraid, take courage, take heart. Because, because why? Because God is here. Because he's coming to fix everything that's been wrong to make it all right. He's on his way. He'll save you. So what you're going through, I hope you hear this. Whatever, you're, whatever you've been sitting on, whatever you've been lamenting over, I hope you hear this. I, Isaiah spoke this vision of the future. He says, he says, get up. Get up and be ready because God is coming back. How beautiful an image. John wrote the last chapter of the Bible. Also, future stuff. It isn't that there is some army of believers that are all getting caught up in a rapture and going up to heaven. No, in his vision, it's heaven 
coming down to earth. It's, it's material. It's substantive. It's a new heaven and a new earth inhabiting new creation. Everything is made new. Behold, Jesus says, and make all things new. Everything good and worthy and beautiful and true is vindicated. Pain and sorrow are no more. God Almighty, it says, God himself will wipe away your tears. We will be his people. And all things are right. All things are new. So friends, this is the good news. God himself came into our world to rescue and renew all things through the works of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He did it for us. The good news is this. Rescue and renewing started on the first day, on that first Easter Sunday in the resurrection. The good news is that you and I are part of this new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The scriptures declare it. This is the good news that God is rescuing and renewing everything, including us. And he's calling us to be part of that. We are part of that new creation. We know the bad news. We know the times we're living in. We know that coronavirus has made an already complicated life unbearable at times. It has cost us friends and loved ones, jobs and finances and stability Racial and political division has cost us friends and brought upon us even more anxiety and more stress. I get it. It's like the whole world has been beat up and robbed and left in a ditch for dead. Society walks by on one side and sees there's nothing of value in it for me, so society passes by. And too much of the church on the other side walks by and says, I'll pray for you, brother, and keeps going. But Jesus, my friends, Jesus has come along with bandages and wine and oil and bound up the wounds of the world, has put it on his donkey, if you will, and set it on a course for healing. The culmination is yet to come But the act of healing, the act of neighboring, the act of loving our enemies, that is the work that we have been created for. So I ask you, what is God doing? Have you looked around? Have you asked that question? What is God doing? What is he creating now? What is he doing? What has he been doing this last year while we're locked down? And how... Can we become part of what he's doing? Because the only thing that makes me want to, you know, energize my limp hands and strengthen my weak knees is to join in with God and what he's doing today, what he's doing now, to put on the new self, as the scripture says, to live out my true identity as God's new creation I've talked a lot about my sons, but let me tell you about Bella. Bella's three and a half. Bella's 
well, I can't say it's her favorite movie now because she's, she's discovered Frozen now, but for the longest time, we would watch Toy Story 4 maybe two or three times a day. And <laughs> one day I was watching it, and Forky, this character in this movie, I don't know if you've seen it, Forky, you see he's a literal spork. The little girl in the movie, Bonnie, has a closet full of toys. You know, Woody, Buzz, Jesse, the, the regular crew of toys is all there. Potato heads. Uh, but on her first day of school, when she's afraid and lonely, she takes some crafts and a spork and creates this little, you know, googly-eyed. He's got like a, a pipe cleaner for arms. <laughs> He's got a broken popsicle stick for feet and some clay. And she, she makes Forky. And <laughs> Forky has this existential crisis in this movie because he thinks he's trash. He kind of is. He's a spork. He even says, like, my purpose is to shovel food into someone's face one time and be thrown in the trash. So the, the, the funny part about Forky is that he just keeps trying to get into a trash can. That's what he wants. He, he wants to be in the trash because he feels like I've fulfilled my purpose as a spork, and now I just want to go to the dump. That's, that's his highest aim. <laughs> he is uh, un- unwittingly, he has become the center of affection for this little girl named Bonnie. So we watch Bonnie try to s- snuggle with him at night and, and sleep with this spork, which is weird, but he just wants nothing more to be out of her arms and in the trash can next to her bed. This whole thing, he's just trying to get away, get away, and, uh, and Woody keeps going after him and bringing him back because Woody understands the importance of being a child's special toy. <laughs> Woody understands what that means to this little girl. And why am I talking so much about Forky, you ask? Because I feel like, I've, I, feel like I see Forky in so many of us. I feel like I see people who have been made new, but they're still living like a spork. They're still... He, he had this conversation with Woody on the side of the road where they're walking back to Bonnie, and, and he says, Woody says, why, why do you love the trash so much? And he says, well, it's just warm and cozy. Like, he, <laughs> it's what he knows. It's what he thought... His purpose was. It's what he thought he was made for. And then the, the revelation happens where Woody says to him, he says, well, that warmth, you know, that, that's what you are to Bonnie. That comfort, that's what you are to Bonnie. And then the light clicks, right? And Forky's like, I'm Bonnie's trash. Kind of, right? He kind of gets it. The idea is that he had to know that he was made for something more than being trash. <laughs> He's giving a new, a new purpose, a new identity, and his existence, 
made one little girl feel happy and warm and safe. So many of us living for trash, running back to what was familiar, what was comfortable, what is normal to us. But the scriptures are clear that we've been given a new life. We are a new creation. We have a new purpose. We have a new identity. And we are now part of something much bigger than the dump or the trash. We are called, no, we are created for good works prepared for us by our Creator. You and me become signposts from God to a watching world of hope, of love. And let's be honest, the world doesn't understand itself. It's a constant search for fulfillment. But God calls us to be his creation, his signpost of hope. Like Woody, we are called to help others see their purpose, that they were made for so much more than they're currently living for, to be examples of the living Christ toward the world that is to come, the world that is promised, the world, in fact, that we all want. Not a soul exists can read the, the last chapter of the Bible and say, a world without sickness, a world where everything's made right, a world where love and beauty are celebrated, a world where there is no more pain and no more sorrow. That's good news to people. And I hope that sounds like good news to you. Every act of love you do for a loved one matters. But every act of love you do for someone other, for someone you don't even like, but you're learning to love, every act of love and compassion you do outside of your circle of friends and family changes the world one person at a time, little by little. It fastens you to Jesus out of gratitude for the love he has shown us. Again, I hope that sounds like good news to you today because the only way to be united, even in a family like Genesis, where there are people all over the political spectrum, is to serve side by side with Jesus and whatever God is up to now, what God is up to next. Who is my neighbor? Maybe we should be asking, who can I be a neighbor to? Who can I be a neighbor to? Mr. Rogers uh, famously, famously said, and this has been quoted a lot lately, he said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people helping. People remember this. They quote it all the time. I see it all over social media often. But I hope they find us when they're looking for the helpers. I hope they see what the coming kingdom of God that is here now looks like when they see us living out our new identity 
when they see us walking with Jesus in love to this world that needs desperately to be loved. I hope they see you, and I hope they see me, and I hope it puts a desire in their heart to walk with us. Years ago, Rob Bell wrote a book. I know some of you are already like, oh, Rob Bell. It's okay. Hear me out. He says, he says, for so many, life is a scattered series of regrets and events with no particular coherence or point. I set out to write about my life and the evolutionary unfolding life of the universe to show that there is a pattern, there's an arc, a deep unity to this strange experience that we're all having here. He says, listen closely, Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, is in all of it. The good, the tragic, and everything in between, bringing new creation out of it. My friends, God is at work. He's stirring up new life and new creation. He's bringing it about in your life and mine. And all the good and all the tragic and every strange experience in between. The question is, will we walk in our newness, exposing the kingdom of God, the express, express the life of the Spirit, or will we clamor for trash like Forky, hanging on to our old junk, even though we are no longer trash? We are new. We've been made new. Old things have passed away. Let's walk together with Jesus wherever he is. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. I pray, Lord, that you would speak whatever you would have us remember, have us remember. I pray that you would embolden us, Father, that you would um, help us to encourage one another, to stir each other up, to love and good works, to walk in the way of Jesus, to walk with Jesus even as new creation is being formed and being shown day to day, hour by hour. I want to be part of it. I pray that you would make Genesis part of that. Give us a desire for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.